Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. About 10 years ago, a gentleman by the name of Gary Chapman wrote a now fairly famous book on marriage called The Five Love Languages. And although it was written particularly for marriages in mind, its application extends far beyond just marriage, but into relationships of, of, of all kinds. Um, the basic premise, if you're not familiar with the book, the basic premise of the book is simply this, that the, the way one communicates love is often the way one receives love. And the way that you communicate and receive love is often very different to your spouse or significant other or friend or roommate or, or business colleague or whatever. Um, and that's where love gets lost in translation. And in his book, Gary Chapman mentions the five ways that we tend to communicate love. Physical touch, acts of service, quality time, words of affirmation, and then, of course, gift giving. Now, the theory of the book is that everyone generally has a predominant love language, except if you're like my wife, who claims to be fluent in all five love languages. (laughs) And the challenge with that, though, is she never tells me which language she's speaking on any particular day. That's something that I need to just uh, figure out myself. So, by show of, of hands, who are gift givers among us? Those who love gifts. Okay. So listen in to, for those who, get, who are gift givers. You guys, I know you know this, but you guys love the, 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 the adventure, the challenge of uh, thinking about, searching for, and eventually finding and buying that seemingly impossible or, or, or gift, that, that perfect gift that is out there. Because the way that you go about searching for that gift is a reflection of your love for the person with whom you're buying the gift for. Agreed? That's why you spend the time to give the gifts that you love to give. The challenge with that, of course, is if anything less is done to you when purchasing a gift, we have a bit of a problem. And we all know that to be true. So I want to say to the gift givers in the room, and there weren't that many, but to the gift givers in the room, I want you to spare a moment for those who are not wired like you. Especially as Christmas approaches every year, and also birthdays, and if you are married, anniversaries. Because those of us like me who are not gift givers, we realize the incredible pressure that we come under to find that perfect gift. So gift givers, cut us a bit of slack. But I want to say to the, to the non-gift givers that are in the room, I want to say let's shake off the shackles of trying to find that perfect gift because it doesn't exist. And let's unite together as non-gift givers this Christmas. <laughs> Let's rise up and let's face the challenge and embrace the challenge of, of giving intentional thought and care to the gifts that we're going to buy for the loved ones. So here's a helpful thought for everybody. The story behind the gift is as important as the gift itself. The story behind the gift is as important as the gift itself. So that even if your gift isn't a home run... The fact that you've taken thought and care and intentionality to buy the gift helps to ensure that the gift is well-received. However, there is a rider to that. That theory doesn't apply to home appliances, sorry, to, to home furniture and kitchen appliances. And I say that from personal experience. I was duped by commercials. It is impossible to buy a kitchen appliance or a piece of furniture, and to express thought and love and care and passion. I did this many years ago, and I've only done it once. I found a perfect set of side tables to give my wife for Christmas, and I thought it was the perfect gift, and I gave them to her, and she's a gift giver, 
and her disappointment was palpable and immediate. And it didn't make it any good that, that, or, or any better that I was so excited about this gift because I got it on a 75% sale <laughs> at a store that was going out of business. <laughs> so furniture and side tables aside and kitchen appliances aside, the thing that I want us to remember this morning is this. The story behind the gift is as important as the unwrapped gift itself. If there's any Christmas icon that has perhaps been misunderstood, or the story behind any Christmas icon that has perhaps been misunderstood, it's the Advent calendar, something that looks like this. Do we have a picture of that, Eloise? No picture of the Advent calendar. Oh, there we do. This is from Trader Joe's. The Advent calendar from Trader Joe's. I wanted to buy one yesterday, but I realized they're probably all, all been sold. The Advent calendar is things that we... we we have been bought, our parents have bought for us, or if we have kids, we've bought for them. And every single day, starting December 1st, we open the little window or flap and find a little chocolatey treat underneath as we build our expectation and anticipation towards Christmas Day. But the word Advent, which in, 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 the word, in, in, in the Latin language means he is coming or he comes, the whole idea of Advent wasn't necessarily or, or, or first built up towards Christmas Day. It actually was a celebration or an expectation or a longing of Christ's return as King and as Lord. So what we've done is taken this and translated our excitement and anticipation and expectation for Christmas Day and Christmas gifts, when in fact the real meaning behind Advent is an expectation and anticipation and longing for the return of Jesus. Think for a moment of a five-year-old who cannot wait for Christmas Day. Or those of us who, who, who raised our hands as gift givers, if you can't think of a five-year-old, think of yourself and how excited you get as Christmas Day approaches. Now I want you to think about the excitement of the people of God as the Old Testament was transitioning into the new, as they waited in anticipation and excitement for the coming King, the Messiah, who was going to save and rescue them from, from oppression and illegal authority. That excitement far outweighs the excitement of any five-year-old. So imagine for a moment their surprise and their shock and their confusion even when their coming Messiah turned out to be a crying baby lying in the arms of an overwhelmed, if not terrified, teenage mother. The, gift, the story behind the gift is as important as the gift itself. We heard the text earlier from Luke chapter 2 where the angels appear to the shepherds and announce the coming of the Messiah. The angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. This is in Luke chapter 2. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah and the Lord. And then soon after that, it goes on to say, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And the shepherds rush off to Bethlehem and they find the scene exactly as described, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus lying in a feeding trough. I want you to think for a moment what do you consider to be the most unbelievable part of that Christmas story as told in Luke chapter 2? Well, let me ask it to you this way. If you were one of those shepherds and Luke chapter 2 described your experience, what would you do? What would you tell others about what you've just experienced? 
Would it be the fact that an angel appeared to you and spoke to you? Probably would be Mike's. That's the thing that I would probably share. And if that isn't enough, suddenly as the single angel appears to you, uh, is speaking to you, this entire choir appears in the heavens and begins to, sh- to declare and sing praises to God. Or perhaps what might be most shocking to you is the fact that a baby was born in a stable and ended up lying in a feeding trough. Although that probably shouldn't be that surprising because I've heard of stories of babies being born in the most unbelievable places. I actually met someone a couple of weeks ago in Los Angeles who told me the story that she gave birth to her baby in her bathtub while her husband was running errands at Target. And she claims that between the time of the water breaking, her water breaking and the baby's birth was 10 minutes. But uh, be that as it may. But the shepherds didn't share either the angelic appearance or the fact that a baby was born in a manger. This is what they shared, verse 17 and 18. When they had seen him, when they had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The thing that amazed the shepherds most, the thing that got their attention, the thing they couldn't wait to tell others was not the angelic experience or the fact that a baby was born in a manger, but what was told them about Jesus. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. A Savior the Messiah, the Lord. And then it goes on to say, and all who heard what the shepherds said were amazed and astounded. An angelic choir, a teenager giving birth despite being a virgin, a guiding star and wise men presenting gifts to a baby all seem astonishing, if not unbelievable, but far more astonishing and on the surface even more unbelievable than all of that is the fact that the creator of Jupiter and the Milky Way came to earth as a baby. He needed to feed at his mother's breast in order to survive. He soiled his swaddling clothes, all for the purpose of saving the world. But more than that, all for the purpose of saving you and your world. So today I want us to remember that the story behind the gift is as important as the unwrapped gift itself. And this unbelievable story of Christmas actually becomes a remarkable story when we understand something of the backstory. And the backstory of Christmas stretches a few thousand years all the way back to a time when God speaks unbelievable promises to a man named Abram, who soon would change his name to Abraham. Genesis tells us this incredible moment when God speaks to Abram. It says in verse 1 of Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram. We're not told why God chose Abram. Just like we're not told why God chose Mary or God chose Joseph or God chooses you or God chooses me. But this we do know. We don't get to choose God. God is the one who chooses us, as Jesus later says in John 15. You didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit. That's God's desire for every single one of us here, for us to live full and blessed and whole lives that reflect the abundance and the generosity of God the Father. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Go from the land 
Go from your land, go to the land I will show you. Go and then I will show you. Get out so that I can lead you in. If you are a follower of Jesus, surely that must resonate in your heart. Surely you know what it's like to, to follow God into the uncertainty of his promises. God speaks the here, and we know where God is taking us, the there, but there is a time between here and there. There's a time between bud and fruit. There's a time between promise and fulfillment that can seem unsettling and uncertain. But one thing we're going to learn today is God is faithful to keep his promises. That's the essence of the Christmas story. And then come these incredible promises that God begins to speak over Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation. To be a nation, to be a people, to be a nation, you have to have land and you have to have lineage, children. Abraham didn't have either. The land that he was facing was filled with Canaanites. And he wasn't even able to have child number one. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. God says to Abraham, I will make you famous. But by Abraham leaving everything and everyone he knew, he had more chance of, of, more chance of being forgotten than being famous. And then he says, you, this is the best, you will be a blessing. All and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God speaks this counterculture into the context of, a, of, of violence and, 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 and enslavement and warfare that characterized the relationship between people, groups, and tribes. And God spoke to Abraham just like God says to us today, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out my favor upon you so that you can live as a counterculture, showing the world what it looks like to serve my king and to release a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. And all of this, God says, is for all people. A modern day translation of Genesis 12 would be simply this. The fullness of Jesus at the exclusion of no one. Or as we like to say at church in the city, all of Jesus for everyone. Does this seem unbelievable? Yes. Outside of God, yes, it does seem unbelievable. Do the promises of God spoken over your life seem unbelievable? Outside of God, yes, they do. But here's the thing. It is God who speaks the promises over Abraham, and it is God who speaks promises over you. So who is responsible to fulfill those promises? It's God. But Abraham does the one thing that he is able to do, and something that we should learn from him. He believed God. He trusted the one who spoke the word into being. These unbelievable promises became even more unbelievable as Abraham had a family and that family became a nation and that nation a kingdom. For a time, they were slaves in Egypt. I will bless you. And after leaving Egypt and going into the promised land, they left a trail of death and destruction and you will be a blessing the promises of God seemed unbelievable and impossible to fulfill. And there came a time when the kingdom of Israel under David and then Solomon, it seemed it was poised to finally become the blessing to the world. But cracks began to show as Solomon and then Solomon's sons and son after son after son begin to drift and wander from God and serve idols and their hearts become unfaithful and hard. Eventually, Israel is split into two, ten northern tribes who eventually get exiled by the Assyrians and, tens, and, and two southern tribes that become the nation of Judah. 
And just prior to them being exiled by the Babylonians, God sends a prophet, Isaiah, to remind them of the promise spoken over them. For to us, the people of God, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government, the government of God, characterized by righteousness, peace, and joy, will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the government, and and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. We know now that Isaiah was pointing to Jesus, Jesus, who will be called Wonderful Counselor. We live at a time like perhaps no other age before, where we are always and constantly searching for answers to complex questions. Questions about race and inequality. Questions about injustice. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the wonderful counselor who will help us navigate through those those difficult questions. He will be called Mighty God. Jesus has won victory over sin and Satan and sickness and the world. And his name is the name above every name. He will be called Everlasting Father. Our city knows Neverlasting Fathers. But through Jesus, we come to know God, who is our everlasting Father. And he is the Prince of Peace. What normally divides in Jesus brings us together. So at the heart of the people of God's unfaithfulness and idol worship, at the depth of hopelessness and despair, being passed from one nation to the next, first the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, when the the promise of God given to Abraham all those years ago seemed impossible to fulfill, when it seemed unlikely that God would make good on his word because of the stiff-necked people That's when God broke in. As Paul would write later in the book of Galatians, when the time was perfect, when the time arrived that had been set by God the Father, God sent his Son. God always comes true on his word and his promise. In Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant from David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom, his kingdom will never end. That is the gospel. That's why the angel said to the shepherds, the good news that will cause great joy for all people through Jesus, the kingdom of God, his reign and rule of power and glory and peace and righteousness and joy is made possible through the lordship of Jesus Christ and it will never end. So the unwrapping of Christmas isn't about an angelic choir, but it's about the one that the angelic choir was singing about. 
The unwrapping of Christmas isn't about a guiding star and wise men bringing gifts, but the one to whom the star was pointing and the gifts to whom, and the one to whom the gifts were given. The unwrapping of Christmas doesn't reveal a baby in a manger, but a king who has come to establish his reign and rule of love and glory and power. The unwrapping of Christmas reveals a God who never gives up on his people, including you and me, and never forgets his promises. Maybe you asked, maybe you at times have asked, just like Mary did, how is this going to be? How are God's promises going to come to pass? God may have spoken incredible things over, your, over you and, and over your life, and you may, just like Mary, say, Look, how, how is this possible? And I love Gabriel's answer, Angel Gabriel's answer to Mary. He says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And I want to speak rest over you this Christmas. As we think through all that God has promised us, as we think as a church through all that God has declared over us, I want to say God has spoken these things and God will bring them to pass. And as the power of the Holy Spirit overshadows us, that life is birthed. The power of the Most High will overshadow you because no word from God will ever fail. The unwrapping of Christmas reveals that Jesus is not just the Savior of the world, but the Savior of you and your world. And so this Christmas, as we, as we celebrate the lights and the food and the friends and the family and the gifts, I want us to remember the faithfulness of God, the one who always fulfills his promise. And those promises might seem unbelievable. Those things that God has spoken over you might seem unbelievable. But my charge to you this Christmas is remember how Abraham responded. God was the one who made those promises. So he trusted that because God made the promises, because God made the promises, he would come good on his word. Our response is simply to trust him and to believe. I joked earlier at the beginning of the sermon that Debs is fluent in all five love languages, which she isn't, although she's probably fluent in four of the five, but that's close enough. But there is only one, I believe, who is fluent in all five of those love languages. God isn't just a gift giver. God isn't just the one who gives us the ultimate gift at Christmas, which is the gift of his son, but he also loves us through physical touch. A leper asks Jesus the question, if you are willing, will you cleanse me? And then it says in Luke 5, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And he said, I am willing, be clean. God loves us through physical touch. God loves us through quality time. Acts chapter 3 tells us that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. God loves us through words of affirmation. In Jeremiah 31, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will never quit loving you. And in Psalm, sorry, Isaiah 62, no more will anyone call you rejected, but today you will be called my delight because I delight in you. And God loves us through the greatest act of service and sacrifice the world has ever known. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could aspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us 
by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use to him whatsoever. The greatest gift and act of service we've ever seen. Can I ask you to close your eyes for a moment? Maybe you're here today and you are desperately in need of a touch from God. Like that leper, you might be crying out to the Father, God, if you are willing, would you heal me? I pray today in Jesus' name, Heavenly Father, that you would touch those who are sick and you would heal in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you are desperate to be refreshed by the presence of the Lord. I think sometimes the anticipation of time off over Christmas often makes us work even harder in the lead up to Christmas. And if you're anything like me, you actually find yourself more exhausted at this time of year than any other time of the year. And I've realized this week that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. It's great to sleep in. It's wonderful to have an afternoon nap. But times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. So Father, I just pray a release of your presence and your closeness and your nearness upon everyone here who is tired and weary. And I pray we would find rest in your presence. Maybe you're here today and you, you are desperate to hear the word of the Lord to you. To hear the Father speak affirmation and love over you. Father, I pray today that your word, your word would be declared over your people. Your acceptance, your love, your plan, your purpose, spoken in Jesus' name. But then last of all, just as every eye is closed, perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This Christmas, just like every Christmas, just like every day of the, every year, God is revealing His Son Jesus as the greatest gift to mankind. He's inviting us to simply respond and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe. I trust you. If that's you today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and there is a stirring in your heart to want to know God, to want to be in relationship with God, to want to find purpose and meaning for your life, then I want to say, surrender your heart to Jesus. Let Him come into your life as Lord and Savior. Would you receive the gift of Jesus today? And if you're saying, yes, I, I, I want to know Jesus, then let me lead you in a prayer right now you're saying, Steve, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then I want to ask you, right where you are seated, to, to say this prayer after me in your hearts. Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. I ask that you would come into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. Would you cause life to be released within me? Hope to be poured out upon me purpose to be declared over me. I give you my heart. 
and I receive the gift that is you as my Lord. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to meet you afterwards so that I could just pray with you and celebrate the decision you made today to receive Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City, all of Jesus for everyone.